Many of you would know Steve Berg, some of you, lots of you don't, but this is a dear brother of mine that we have really connected at a heart level in the last uh, couple of years as we've been giving leadership in the Canadian Conference in uh, a variety of ways. He's been an interim executive uh, director and is just finishing his term now this month as we have commissioned and blessed Elton Da Silva, who I, interestingly is from Brazil originally. So we feel that our, God is knitting our hearts together with that country as well. But Steve, you have done a tremendous job in leading us as a national family. Thank you. I have so enjoyed getting to know you. And just Steve has a love for the Lord. Uh, he pastors a church in Abbotsford called South Abbotsford Community Church. And so we're just so thrilled that you're here to share the word of God Wonderful. with us this morning. Bless Thanks, you. Bruce. Thank you for that welcome. Uh, I, I did spend the entire week from last Sunday to this Sunday uh, living in the Enns family home. Bruce and Lisa have hosted me so graciously. And uh, deep connections with, uh, as Bruce has said, with him, but now with the family, the girls. And uh, if you've ever been in their home, you know that in, in their great room in the basement, they have this wall, it's, and it's titled Family. And then there's a, just a whole collage of pictures uh, of the family in various ages and stages. And uh, I was looking at one last time this morning before I left, and I, I think I saw my picture in the uh, kind of in the collage, except it wasn't the black and white grandparents uh, section. So I'm wondering if you could move it out of there uh, over on the other side. I also want to say thank you to you as a church family for hosting us so outstandingly uh, this week. And uh, we, uh, as a conference, really bless uh, Forest Grove Community Church and bless you because you've also had the vision to uh, send leaders, leaders like Bruce and Jim Davidson, Howie Wall, and I'm sure others over the years. But these are people that I've worked closely with over the last 18 months and just want to kind of return a blessing to you for the blessing that you have uh, given to us. I'm humbled to uh, speak God's word to you today, today this transaction between the, the word of God and the people of God that the Holy Spirit brings about. The series uh, that uh, Bruce, I think, has designed for this summer is called Passages, and I think the intent of that was just passages from Scripture, and so it creates some freedom for, for he and uh, other speakers that will come to just select a particular passage and speak what's, what's on your heart. But I took it another way, and so I'm infusing it with another piece of meaning, Bruce, and that's that all of us go through passages in life. There are significant, you know, whether it be a graduation or a marriage or a baby born or, you, you know, what I'm talking about, a job a transition or uh, a retirement. And uh, so uh, I am at an important point of passage this weekend of finishing. Certainly Bruce has already commented that I'm, uh, I'm finishing up a sort of leadership in the gap for the Canadian Conference at this point, but I'm, I'm also, uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm 65. And uh, so I'm, I'm in that space and time of life where I'm thinking about, okay, what's next? And uh, so there is kind of passage on my mind. I uh, will be returning this fall in September back to South Abbotsford Church where I've been connected in one way or another in, in pastoral leadership for about 21 years. And I'm going back to the team uh, to step in uh, to a four-month period when our lead pastor, Matt Ewart, is on a study leave, sabbatical leave, and will be glad to lead the team and, and most of the preaching. And then uh, in January of 2019, I've already said to them, I'm, I'm glad to stay and help and make a contribution, 
Uh, but uh, I'm starting to think about creating a little bit more margin in my life, and so I'm heading towards what I would call retirement. The title they've given me is uh, Senior Associate Pastor, which I've interpreted to mean I can do whatever I want. (laughs) It's great. A few years ago, I became passionate about cycling, and if it were possible, I would ride every day. In the last year and a half, haven't ridden nearly Uh, as much as I would like to, and I hope to return to that even this week as I get back home and get my feet on the ground a little bit more. And I like to ride about 30 to 35 kilometers a day, and I I use a little app, if you're a rider, you know about Strava, and uh, I have a computer on my bike, and it hooks up to Strava, and it just measures absolutely everything, how fast you went, uh, the distance, the speed, the elevation, the metrics and segments, And then it does a crazy thing. It compares you to all of the other riders on the globe who have ridden that particular section. And that's the embarrassing part for me because I am ranked rather low in that comparison. Now, uh, I need to tell you that uh, when I ride and leave from my house, uh, the first part of my ride, uh, I I usually like to keep the first part of my ride to about uh, an average of 60 kilometers per hour. Sometimes I get really crazy and it gets up to 70 but that's kind of, you know, my max. The last part of my ride, I average about 10 to 12 kilometers an hour. Now, that's not just because I'm 65 and 20 pounds overweight. You see, I live on a hill. That's uh, an old picture, but nonetheless a picture from my backyard. It's called uh, McKinley Mountain. It's partway up a mountain. And I need to tell you that there's only one way to get home. And that's to go up this mountain, this hill. And uh, so success for me is not how fast I'm going. Success for me is not getting off my bike and taking the city bus home when I'm going home. It's slow, but the only way to get home is to finish strong. Now, I think that's a great metaphor for the passage that I would like to speak to you about. It certainly is a great metaphor for the passage of life that I am in at this time. I want to finish strong, but my thoughts can be about getting off my life bike and taking an easier way. It gets harder. I become weary. I want a more leisurely pace. I've been around the block a few times, and frankly, I don't have a lot of patience for... Well, I'll call it baloney, but another word came to mind. I can work off the corner of my desk and through my experience and influence actually get a lot of things done. But the call in my life and your life is this. God wants me to finish the race and to finish strong. So that is an everyday choice that I must make. And I look to Jesus and receive God's grace that is enough for this challenge. Paul faced the same choice as he neared the latter part of his life. He said in Acts 20, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. All of us start on this journey of following Jesus, and our intent right from the beginning is to be faithful. And we expect to continue this to the end of our lives. But you know as well as I do that we, each one of us, need to make an everyday choice for our life. And so this is my proposition for you today as we look at this particular passage of Scripture, this story. 
The only way to get home, folks, the only way to get home is to finish strong. If you remember nothing else about what I said today, please take this with you as the Spirit of God challenges you to the same choice in your life. It won't be measured by your speed. It'll be measured by not getting off your life bike. It's your everyday choice to finish strong. And this proposition is for every age in the room for whatever passage that you are in. When King David sinned through sexual misconduct and murder and cover-up, God confronted him, and David was quick to repent. Psalm 51, for example, expresses a heartfelt, a sincerity, an emptying and rending of his heart in confession. And this was no small matter, so this was not glib repentance. But because of David's repentant attitude, God in his grace put away David's sin. There was a consequence, a judgment, in that this little baby that David had in this affair with Bathsheba died. An added tragedy to failure. But there followed a blessing to David and Bathsheba, and his name was Solomon. Peace. So right from the beginning, Solomon's story is a story of God's grace. When David is very near his death, he commissions his son of peace, the kingdom that really David had built by God's grace, and he gave his blessing to this son of blessing and of peace, Solomon. When King Solomon was young, he had a dream. In a vision, God asked him what he wanted for his future. He did not ask for a long life or victory over his enemies or wealth or power. You know, if you've read the story and know anything about his life, that he asked God for an understanding heart, wisdom to govern the people of God. After David's bloody rule, Solomon governed in an era of peace and prosperity. He was literally at the zenith of Israel's history. He became so renowned that the chronicler of 1 Kings says, the people of Israel feared him because of the wisdom of God that was so prevalent in his judgments. This was a remarkable start to his life and his kingship. In 1 Kings 3, Solomon's wisdom excelled all the wise ones in the east, including Egypt. God appeared to Solomon two times, and the second time after the consecration of the temple. And the text in 1 Corinthians 9 says, As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon had desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. And as he appeared to him at Gibeon, And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me, and I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for you for all time. What an incredible blessing. And as for you, if you will walk before me, listen, as you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping the statutes of my, and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised to David your father saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. 
But if you turn aside from following me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I've set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I've consecrated for my name, and I will cast you out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, Why has the Lord done this to the land of this house? And then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought disaster upon them. Simply put, God gives Solomon a clear choice for the way ahead. How will you choose? Surrender your heart to me as your father David did, of integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you? This isn't complicated. It's not easy, but it's clear, and it comes with a daily choice. The only way to get home, Solomon, is to finish strong. Not easy, but not complicated. Nor is it for us. Under Solomon's reign, the Israel society flourished. Science advanced, study of botany and animal husbandry. The humanities were revitalized. There was poetry, over 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs. The musical arts were advanced. There was the patron of the symphony and the choral societies. Culinary arts were developed. Vineyards and orchards were planted. They built beautiful gardens and pools. The equitarian sciences were advanced. They had over 400 horse stables, 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen. They negotiated trade agreements with neighboring countries to import their finest goods. They brought in the most skilled foreign trades to work on Solomon's many public work projects. And with these resources, he built the temple estimated in today's dollar value of well over a $100 billion project. In over 13 years, he built his own opulent palace, which was complete with rare artifacts of art. So great was Solomon's wisdom, wealth, and fame that a distant queen from Ethiopia, Sheba, prepared a caravan carrying wealth and gifts to visit this great king in Asin. She was on a quest for answers to her big questions in life. Listen to a part of the description. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. The end of 1 Kings 10 says, 
And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. And every one of them brought him a present, articles of silver and gold and garments and myrrh and spices and horses and mules, so much year by year. And the king made, listen, silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. Wow. What a remarkable start. So now we come to 1 Kings 11. Solomon's remarkable life, I have to tell you, had a regrettable finish. So the obvious question is, what happened? How did this brilliant king who started so strong finish so disappointingly? And what, in reading the story, would I or you need to commit to, need to understand, so that this would not become my story or your story? Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Shoot. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabite, the Ammonite, the Edomite, the Sidonian, and the Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your, away your heart after other gods. God had made it clear what would happen. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcon, the Abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. For the sake of time, I want to skip down in chapter 11. Verse 9, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. We get it. What happened? Compromise. Now, compromise can be beneficial when it promotes cooperation without sacrificing moral values. Solomon's compromises were against God's clear instruction by agreeing to alliance with Egypt. This was a business deal. He's thinking like a business person. This is, this is about strengthening the economy. 
He strikes a deal with Egypt to marry Pharaoh's daughter. And it wasn't long before King Solomon took on more wives who worshipped pagan gods. And his trade deals and political alliances increased at an exponential rate. This is just good business practice for the future stability of the country. Now, sure, he loved them, it says. But the result was that when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. And consequently, the nation of Israel became weaker until it was torn apart. Satan's deadliest attacks usually are subtle at the beginning. And the deceptive power of compromise is among the greatest threats to anyone here in the room, including me. Solomon compromised his wisdom. This was God's gift to him. It was God's wisdom, not his. But it was only when he had integrity of heart. But when his heart wandered, it was the collective pagan wisdom of all the women in these political alliances that seeped in to take God's place in his heart. Solomon compromised his walk. Remember, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, God said. This is the daily discipline to walk surrendered to God and his word to us. When you take one step in the wrong direction, a direction that you may know is unwise, it can lead to ungodly actions and ultimately to destruction. And the enemy is lying to us. A little bit of that is not going to hurt you. You can handle it. You're mature after all. However, every time we step across the line, what happens? We endanger ourselves in ways that we don't even realize. Even a little bit of compromise can be deadly. Solomon compromised his wealth. I just described for you the tremendous wealth that Solomon and the nation of Israel had. Silver is common as stone. The Bible is always addressing the insidious pull of wealth toward compromise. It's not the money that's evil. It's our heart that attributes godlike status to money. And so we can operate in independence and pursue the desires of our hearts, which in the inclination of the heart is inevitably leading us away from God, not toward God. Solomon compromised his worship. Need I say more? He worshipped foreign gods. And there's always a consequence for that compromise. Lowering our standards weakens our character, hurts our personal testimony, and hinders our prayer life. It corrupts our thinking. I began by saying this is a regrettable finish for Solomon. God raises up adversaries against him. His son, Rehoboam, makes a disastrous mistake early in his rule. The kingdom of Israel splits. Only two tribes stay with Solomon's successor. Jeroboam leads a new nation state of Israel made up of ten tribes. And those that compromised destroyed themselves. We only have a few minutes left. I don't know if I even need to kind of work this out for you, but let me give you a couple of points in a direction. Make a decision to finish strong every day. Again, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness as David your father did, obeying all of my commands and decrees and regulations, 
Then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. It's a daily choice. So I offer this to you. Stay humble. If we're to finish the race, we must avoid the obstacle of pride. We keep Jesus at the center, not ourselves. And we don't look at the circumstances we're going through or even the great counsel of those around us. We pray for humility and ask God to show us pride. And then we make our goal to live humbly before others, humbling ourselves, and especially spend time learning how to hear the voice of God. Secondly, learn from the past, but look to the future. How can we avoid looking to the past and keeping our eyes on the future? Paul says we are to forget those things which are behind and strain toward us what is ahead, to press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called us. That means we make a conscious, sustained effort to learn from the past, but not to dwell on it, to value it as a part of our heritage, but to realize that God is leading us forward. He is doing a new thing. Paul didn't start particularly well, but he finished strong because he said, my accomplishments are nothing. They're like a pile of rubbish. The only thing I want to do is to Lean in to where God's leading me and to obey him no matter what. The only day we can live is today. We can't live in the past, nor can we change it. We can't move the future until it gets here. We can only live life today, and we must make the best of that if we're to finish strong. So learn from the past. Look to the future. Take one step at a time. In a long race, it's natural to long for the finish line to end as it approaches. We want to be there now. I do. I want to be done with the race before I am finished the race. It's been a long course, so why not slow down and coast in across the finish line? I've run hard for a long time. I can afford to back off and take it easy for a bit. After all, look at what has happened in my life. It's been full Now I can slow down just a little bit. I'm not talking about creating margins in your life as you get older and want to retire. Remember, it's about letting your guard down. Guard your heart to the end and take it one step at a time. The longer we live for the Lord, the the more important it is to stay focused. I'm told that when trapeze artists... uh, have accidents, it always happens at the end of the routine because they're thinking, I did it. I did all the hard stuff. And they get their mind off finishing the act. It's that way in life. And finally, keep your focus on Jesus. Just remember that life's a marathon. It's not a sprint. The writer of Hebrews says that we run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And one more When you fall, get up. Sometimes we fall to sin or weariness or laziness. But when we do, we're called that if we fall, we lay down our sin and confess it and we are forgiven and cleansed and we go forward. Philippians 1.6 doesn't say, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day you fail and flop on the track. 
He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a commitment. Well, I finish by saying, the point today is this. The only way to get home is to finish strong. And at the end of life, Paul writes, I have finished the race. God doesn't want us just to start and ride along for a while and then get off our bike and catch the bus home. He wants us to finish all the way to the end. In the fall of 1968, on October the 20th in Mexico City in the Olympic Stadium, it was beginning to get dark. Over an hour before, the Ethiopian runner had crossed the finish line seemingly as strong as he had begun, and he won the gold. And the silver and bronze medalists had followed close behind. Cool weather had come. The last of the Olympic marathon runners had long since crossed the finish line and were getting post-race help by trainers and medical staff. But for some the reward of the race was a personal one, finishing what they had started. Now, an hour later, there were only a few thousand spectators left when, all of a sudden, a lone figure entered into the Colosseum. Attention turned to that gate. He was wearing the colors of Tanzania. This runner came limping into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Aquarie. He was the last man to finish the marathon in 1968. His leg was bandaged, was bleeding because he had taken a terrible fall and injured himself quite badly. All he could do was limp into the last lap and the crowd stood up and applauded him. Afterward, it was written, Today, we have seen a young African runner who symbolizes the finest in the human spirit. A performance that displays the true dignity of sport. A performance that lifts sport out of the category of grown men playing a game. A performance that gives the true meaning to the word courage. When he finally crossed the finish line, he was asked, why didn't you quit? What gave you the courage to get up and keep going? And with that wonderful East African dignity, he simply said, my country didn't send me 7,000 kilometers to start this race. My country sent me to finish. Solomon's story isn't all that unusual. A remarkable start, but a regrettable finish. You and I don't avoid Solomon's story by trying harder. Jesus' redemption means that we start living for him, but he redeems us so that we finish strong. God died for us and chose us in Christ. He gives us salvation and lives in us. Jesus was obedient to the cross. 
and he gives us the strength to finish strong for his glory. Will every one of us here in the room today claim as our epitaph the words of Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Our Father, in the passages of life, you've called us to follow you faithfully and with courage. Not simply to start, but to finish in the strength that by your grace you give us. May again, in this day of considering our own place in life and the things that you've put before us to begin and that we find ourselves at midpoint in the race when we're weary or perhaps we're getting lazy, but we again give ourselves to you because the only way to get home is to finish strong. By your grace, we make that commitment every day. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.